My name's John Redmond from First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas, and I want to thank you for joining us today on Peace by Believing. And wherever you may be listening from and whatever you may be going through, I pray today that this program will be an encouragement to you, that it would lift your spirits, and that it would cause you to think about life and your circumstances and God from a different perspective. And so thanks for joining us today, and I hope you'll enjoy the sermon. If you'll open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 2, the title of the message today is simply this, Don't Leave Jesus at Church. Now, this is an interesting story. In fact, it's one of my favorite stories in all the New Testament for two reasons. Number one, this is the only story we have of the childhood of Jesus. We have a tremendous amount of information about his birth. We have a tremendous amount of information about his ministry beginning at 30 years of age. But as far as his childhood, the only thing we know about those years is from this passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at today. The second reason I love this story is because in it we find the first recorded words of Jesus in all of the Bible. And so for that reason, this is a very, very special passage of Scripture. Now what I want us to do is let's just read the passage first. Luke chapter 2 and verse number 41 and then we'll think about it. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And Jesus was 12 years, and when Jesus was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now so it was that after three days they found Jesus in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And Jesus said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which Jesus spoke to them. That's the only story we have in the Bible about the childhood of Jesus. Now, what had happened was that it was Passover season. And so all devout Jews would travel from wherever they lived in Israel to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. This took place in the spring of the year. And so the family made the 70-mile trip from Nazareth to Jerusalem, and they celebrated the Passover. Now, when the feast was over, they went home. Now, back in these days, when families would travel long distances like that, they would travel in groups. They were called caravans, and normally there were two different caravans per group. The first one was made up of the women and children, and the second group was made up of the men and the young men. And so when they were traveling from Jerusalem back to Nazareth, here are these two groups, women and children going first, men coming up behind, and the young men with them. And they had traveled, it says here, a day's journey. Now, that expression, a day's journey, is, 
is, is unclear exactly what that meant. It meant something different to different people. You could probably travel a certain distance in a day. I might could travel a certain distance. You might go farther than me. I might go farther than you. So it's a loose term, but normally it was a, it was a approximately 20 or 30 mile trip if you were traveling by yourself or maybe if you were traveling with one other person. A day's journey meant you went 20, 25, maybe 30 miles. But if you were traveling in a large group in these caravans like Jesus' family was, the most you would have gone in one day would have been about 10 miles. And so the family on this particular day had traveled about 10 miles. It would have taken them a week at this rate to get back to Nazareth. And at the end of this first day, they stopped. They undoubtedly kind of setting up camp there. They were going to spend the night. And when they did that, Mary and Joseph got talking amongst themselves, and probably one of them said to the other, well, how was Jesus today? How did he do coming, make this 10-mile trip? And the other one said, well, I thought Jesus was with you. Why are you asking about how Jesus did? I assume he was with you. And it's easy how Mary and Joseph could have thought this, because at 12 years of age, Jesus was right there on the fence between being a child and being a young man. When a Jewish boy turned 12 or for sure when he turned 13 he was considered an adult and so at the 12 year mark you're kind of on the bubble he easily could have traveled with women and children he easily could have traveled with the men and the young men and so Mary and Joseph had not been bad parents or negligent in any way they just each assumed that Jesus was with the other person but when they got to where they set up camp that night it dawned on both of them Jesus is not in this group and so we have got now to go back to Jerusalem and we've got to find Jesus and so they turned around that that they went back probably waited till the next morning and then for safety's sake then they went back to Jerusalem and then they spent an entire day or the better part of a day in Jerusalem before they finally found Jesus in the temple sitting at the feet of the teachers the religious leaders asking questions answering questions that they were asking of him and so it's a very interesting story you think about it like this Mary and Joseph Jesus and their family had traveled from Nazareth to Jerusalem for the feast. The feast was centered in the temple area. When the feast was over, Mary and Joseph and the family went headed back to Nazareth, but they left Jesus in the temple. We could say it this way, they left Jesus at church. And so that's why I'm calling the sermon today, don't leave Jesus at church. How many of us have come to a service like this, heard great music, sang, sung, sang, sang or sung, sang, sang some of the song, participated in some of the singing ourselves, <laughs> heard the sermon, were encouraged, saw our Christian friends, we were edified, we were lifted up, and then we go from here and we go to a restaurant and maybe the waiter is slow or maybe the service is bad and we lose our temper and we're rude to the waiter. Right after we have left church, there is a sense when that happens that we have left Jesus at church because we weren't being rude to each other down here. Everybody's being nice. But when we leave here and go out to the world or maybe back with our families or wherever it might be or back to school tomorrow, back to our responsibilities, and we, we start living in a way that is exactly opposite of everything we profess down at the church, it's kind of like we have left Jesus at church. And so that's what I want us to think about today. Don't leave Jesus at church. We are here now with one another. We're in the house of God in a very special way. We're in the presence of Jesus Christ. Now, I know literally we can't leave Jesus. 
Because everywhere we go, he's with. I get it from that perspective. But there's a practical sense in which many times we do get ahead of Jesus. We do stray away from Jesus. We do lose our fellowship with Jesus. And that's what I'm calling. As I think about this passage of Scripture and I think about how it relates to our own lives, the first thing I notice is simply this. There's a common problem that Mary and Joseph had and that all of us have, and that is to get ahead of Jesus or to get away from Jesus. Listen to how I wrote this down in my notes because I think this sentence says it so very well. It's easy to go through a day without having any fellowship with Jesus. Now think about that. Mary and Joseph had traveled a day's journey. And on that 10-mile walk, in that day's journey, they had had absolutely no fellowship with Jesus. And yet, they didn't even miss him. They were not even aware that that fellowship had been broken until they got to where they were going to spend the night and they figured out that Jesus wasn't there. And so I think in all of our lives, it's easy to go through a day without having any fellowship with Jesus. They assumed that Jesus was in their company, but he wasn't. They had lost contact with Jesus. Let me ask you today, have you ever done that? Have you ever gone through a day, a 24-hour period, and you had no fellowship with Jesus? Sure you have. We all have. Have you ever assumed that just because you're saved and just because you love God and, and just because you're going to go to heaven, when you die, have you ever assumed that you are in fellowship with Jesus, that you're in contact with Jesus, that you're close to Jesus, when in actual fact that fellowship has been broken? Now, we know we can't lose our salvation, and that's why I'm saying we can literally never get out of the presence of Jesus, but we can lose that intimacy, we can lose that closeness, we can lose that fellowship with Jesus, and I think this sentence here pretty much says it all. It's easy to go through a day without having any fellowship with Jesus. And it's easy if we do that a second day or a third day or a week or two weeks or a month or six months or a year or longer than that. It's easy to forget the fact that we have broken contact with Jesus. You say, John, what would cause something like that to happen? How could anybody who's saved, who has a relationship with Jesus, I mean, Mary and Joseph had a relationship with Jesus, but how, how could any of us lose that closeness and lose that contact with him? See, don't assume that just because you're in church today that you're in fellowship with Jesus. Now, I hope you are, and I hope I am. But I can't assume that just because I'm in church, I can't even assume that just because I'm up here preaching a sermon that I'm in fellowship with Jesus. Standing up here preaching a sermon means one thing. It means I'm standing up here preaching a sermon. But it doesn't guarantee that I'm in fellowship with Jesus. You say, well, how could we lose that fellowship? Well, our minds are on other things. How many times in a setting like this, preacher up here preaching best he can, trying to teach the Bible, how many times have you caught yourself with a wandering mind? What are we going to do after the service? Where are we having lunch today? What are we going to do this afternoon? What, you know, what, what about this week? Your mind is all, what about the family situation? Well, it's natural. It happens to all of us. But when our minds are on other things, that's when 
we put ourselves in a position to lose contact with Jesus. Think about Mary and Joseph. How did they lose contact with Jesus? Because their minds weren't on Jesus. Their minds were on the other people in the caravan, and they assumed that Jesus was in the other group, and they both assumed wrong. And so when we get our minds on things other than Jesus, this is why the Bible says, set your mind on things above. Say that with me. Set your mind on things above. And then it says, not on things on the earth. And so this is why when we get our mind on things other than Jesus, situations and circumstances other than Jesus, in a matter of time, we lose contact and we go through a day without having any fellowship with Jesus. It's just, it's just not how it's supposed to be. Another thing that can happen to us is that our hearts naturally can drift away from Him. Our hearts just, you know, we have, the Bible says, guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. It is a wellspring of life. But if you have your heart on something other than Jesus, if you have your heart uh, on making money, if you have your heart on anything other than Jesus, or, and if Jesus is not the top, I'm not saying we're not interested in anything else, but if, if that becomes preeminent in your life and you have begun to drift away from Jesus, that's a very dangerous thing. And then unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin. Let me ask you a question. How many of you would say that since we were here last Sunday, you have sinned? Would you please raise your hand? All right. Now we want to pray for those who didn't raise their hand. Because they just committed another sin. They just lied. Unless you were really had a good week, more than likely you lied. Because we've all sinned. So sin is a problem for all of us. But unconfessed sin is a serious problem. You see, when, when a Christian sins, when I sin, if you said to me, John, have you sinned since you were here uh, last Sunday? I'd put up both hands, okay? Yes, I have. But when we sin, what does that do? It breaks the fellowship with Jesus. So here we go. We've sinned now. That fellowship, that contact, that closeness, that intimacy has been broken. We haven't lost our salvation, but we've lost our closeness to God. Now, when that fellowship is broken, if we continue on in life without dealing with that sin, now we have a wedge between us and God. And if we don't repent of that and get that sin forgiven and restore that fellowship with Jesus, then that intimacy with God will continue to be broken. Here's what we have to do. When we sin, we have to go back to the place where we messed up. And we have to ask God to forgive us. We may have to ask somebody else to forgive us. We have to do whatever we have to do to make it right. But we have to say, God, here is where I sinned. Here is where I said something I shouldn't have said. Here is where I did something I never should have done. Here is when I watched something I never should have watched. Here is when I participated in something I never should have participated in, God. Here's where it went wrong. God, here is the place where I neglected you. Here is where I failed to pray. Here is where I neglected your word. God, here is where the fellowship was broken. And since I broke it here, I'm coming back here, and I'm repenting, and I'm asking you to restore me into a right relationship with you. But if there's unconfessed sin that's not dealt with, see, you have to go back to the place where fellowship was broken. And you go back there, and you get a clean start, and that closeness is, uh, it is picked back up again. But there's a common problem. I want to say it one final time. It's easy to go through a day without having any fellowship with Jesus. You believe that? Say amen. Second thing I notice in this passage, not only is there a common problem, but there's an aha moment. 
there's an aha moment. You know what an aha moment is. Aha, you kind of, it dawns on you. So it's like the light goes on. And when Mary and Joseph got to that campsite after that 10-mile trip, they had an aha moment. And the aha moment was Jesus isn't here. We have completely gone off and left Jesus in Jerusalem. We left Jesus. They might not have known exactly where he was then, probably had a pretty good idea. We left Jesus at church, and we should have brought Jesus with us from the church or stayed with Jesus, whatever he wanted to do. We should, we should have been with him. But they had this aha moment. Think about an aha moment. Isn't that how we got saved? We had an aha moment. Something is missing. Someone is missing. These sins in my life are going to send me to hell. I've got to be forgiven of this. There is a emptiness in my heart. There's a lack of peace in my heart. Listen, friend, when God made you, he made you with a hole in your heart that only he himself could fill. It made me the same way. And if we try to fill that hole with other people and other things, we're just going to go through life and uh, be very, very frustrated and very, very disappointed. And so we have to have this moment that says, aha, we, we've seen this lately. Good numbers of people at the beginning part of this year have been in the services, have been in different settings, and they have heard the gospel, and a light has gone on, and people have been saved. Just a few Sundays ago in the 11 o'clock service, preached a sermon, gave the invitation, and from the top row, or one of the top rows of this auditorium, a, a 20-something, probably 20, 21-year-old girl walks down the aisle. I was standing right there. And I said, I'm so glad you've come. What is your decision today? She said, my decision is I need to get saved. And she got saved. And I said, how many times have you been to First Baptist? She said, this is my first time. I said, who invited you? She said, my mother invited me. And she said, I came today. And as this service is unfolding, has unfolded, it's like a light came on. And it's like, I just need to get saved. See, that's an aha moment. And we've, if you're saved, back there somewhere, you had that. The light went on, and you knew that something was missing in your life. But that's not, only, that's not only how we got saved. Those aha moments, isn't that how we discovered God's will for our lives? I mean, it's not just salvation. It begins there. But that's how God reveals his will. That's how God helps us to know what we're supposed to do in our lives. We just have an aha moment. And we say, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is the direction that I'm supposed to go. You may or may never have heard my dad. He's not told this story very many times. I'm not sure if he's ever told it at a Sunday service, but I've heard it through the years that when he and my mom had been married for just a few years, and they were in their mid-20s, maybe 25, 26, getting close to 27, and my dad was very established in the business world, but they were very active in the church where they were attending and, and faithful members there, but he was in the business world all the way and, and, and doing well. And one night after church, the associate pastor of the church where they attended and his wife were about my parents' age. And so my parents said to them, hey, why don't y'all come by the house after church tonight? We'll have some pie, have some coffee, just kind of talk and catch up. And so the, the associate came over, his wife came, and the four of them were sitting around their kitchen table, and they were just talking. And as they were just sitting around eating pie and drinking coffee, the, that pastor said to my dad, he said, Charles... Have you ever thought about the fact that God may be calling you into the ministry? Have you ever even considered that? And my dad said, well, no. He said, now, Dottie's mentioned that to me a few times. But he said, I, I, so I've thought about it when she mentioned it. He said, but to be honest with you, I'm in the business world. And he said, I'm pretty well established. And he said, I just think I'm in, God's, I'm in God's will already. I don't think I need to go into the ministry to be in God's will. I think I'm already in God's will. 
And the man said to my dad, he said, Charles, I'll be honest with you. I don't think you have a clue about how to know what God's will is. Now, that's when I would have said, thanks for coming. (laughs) And remind me to never invite you back. But that's not what my dad said. My dad said, well, I, I don't agree with your statement. He said, I think I do know how to know God's will. He said, I've grown up in the church. I've been a Christian since I was seven years old. He said, I think I know how to know God's will as well as you do. And that man took my dad's Bible and handed it to him and said, if that's true, if you know how to know God's will, you take your Bible, open it up, and show me one verse about how to know God's will for your life. And my dad said he was unable to do that. Now, that meal went from awkward to over. I mean, eventually it got over. And the assistant pastor and his wife left. But I've heard my dad say on a few occasions that God used that man, a man named Fred Funches, to get his attention. And that was part of the process. That wasn't all of the process. That was one piece of the puzzle. See, that moment became for my dad an aha moment because he was confronted by a man of God who sensed the call of God on his life And he also sensed that at that time, my dad didn't have the discernment to figure out what God was doing. But God used that confrontation as an aha moment. And it wasn't too long after that, several months, but not too awfully long, that my dad surrendered his life, he and my mom, to the ministry. And they've been in the ministry now for over 50 years. Now, what happens after we have the aha moment? Well, that's the third thing. And that is there's a decision to make. There's a decision to make. In other words, when God gives you an aha moment and something that had previously been unclear becomes clear, you have to do something. In other words, if I'm home and I put my hand on a hot stove and after about a second and a half, I have an aha moment, this stove is hot. I don't just keep standing there thinking about my aha moment. I move my hand off the stove. Well, certainly. But in in the spiritual life, it's the same way. When God reveals something to you that you need to do, you you have a decision to make. You have to do something. That's what Mary and Joseph did. When it dawned on them that Jesus wasn't with them, they went back to that place where they had lost fellowship with him, and they found him. There's a decision that has to be made in our lives when we when we have that aha moment. Well, we're going to have to stop right there for today. We've run out of time, but it's not a bad place to stop because we're thinking about having that aha moment when God reveals to us that something is missing in our lives. And it may be that you're having that experience right now. I remember the morning I preached that sermon here in Pasadena and in the first morning service, I asked the congregation to bow their heads in prayer And I led them in the prayer that I'm going to lead you in in just a moment to invite Jesus Christ to come into their heart. And at the end of that prayer, I said, now, if you prayed that prayer, would you just would you just raise your hand in the air? And there was this one lady who was sitting about halfway up towards the top of our worship center, a long way from me. And I saw her raise her hand. And I just wondered to myself, I wonder when I give the invitation, will she come forward and and let this decision be known publicly. And and you know, she did. And she shared with me when she came to the front that that she had prayed that prayer, that she had asked Jesus to come into her heart. And I asked her, I said, how many times have you been to First Baptist? She said, this is only my third time to come. She said, my friend, who was standing by her at that time, she said, my friend invited me to come to church here, and I've been coming for three weeks. 
And she said, today, at the end of that sermon, it's like I had an aha moment. I just knew that what was missing in my life was Jesus Christ. And that may be true for you today. She had that experience in church, but maybe you're having it in your car, in your home, or wherever you might be listening today. You don't have to be in a church building to get saved. You can get saved wherever you are. Jesus has promised that he would forgive our sins and come to live in our hearts if we would repent and ask Him to forgive us and ask Him to help us change. And so, if you'd like to receive Christ today, would you just pray this prayer? Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me, Lord, and I trust you to do it. Welcome to my heart. Thank you that you'll never leave me. Begin now to make me the person that you want me to be. In your name I pray, amen. And friend, if you have prayed that prayer, I want to congratulate you. God has heard it. God has saved you. And we want to welcome you to the family of God. Thanks for joining us today.